It is Marsh and Mello, TSN 1150 in Hamilton. Thank you for being here with us. As always, we do appreciate it at Marsh and Mello at TSN 1150. We are having some fun in studio today, getting ourselves set for all things uh, CFL free agency coming up. Hopefully, uh, we'll be able to have a bit of a uh, visual component for you, perhaps later on in the day. If you are following along on our social media channels, we are aiming to get that up and running for you. I am underqualified as an engineer. I'm just going to put it at that. Uh, thankfully, we have Barry, who is our engineer extraordinaire in the building, who has been helping us out trying to get this stuff off the ground. Uh, <laughs> but I, I trust me, Kyle, I am not the guy. If at the end of the world, you need somebody to figure out an engineering issue when it comes to all the wires <laughs> and things that are put into this studio, do not give me a hard hat and expect me to climb underneath a desk and find a solution for you is all I'm saying. I mean, I'm in the same boat. Right? <laughs> like, I have no idea, like, what wires need to be plugged into where and stuff. I know how to operate the audio board, uh, the computers. At least I did. I'm, I'm telling you. Like, when I re eventually oh, I return to studio, I'm going to need Brad, Reese, and, and Sean in the studio for at least a month. Yeah following my return because i'm gonna have no idea i don't remember any passwords to anything anymore <laughs> anytime those three like text me and they're like hey do you remember the password to this i'm like huh no not not even close i haven't been in a studio in it's coming up on a year i know man yeah what do you like, want to do since for, march what do you want to do for your one year anniversary of never being here we should throw a party that day that'd be fun i have no idea but i'm <laughs> telling you these dining room walls are closing in every single bleeping day <laughs> uh, well go inside go for a walk man it's beautiful i went for a walk last night at 11 o'clock with the dogs because i was uh, last night the girls are watching the bachelor and i am just running around and i honestly i are not keeping up with the bachelor i am yeah i just trust, oh, okay. trust me it's easy to keep no up spoiler with alert i didn't watch last night because of the okay and good, good to know but it's easy to uh, keep up with uh the bachelor you have to walk past the tv once every 20 minutes <laughs> that's all you need i walk past them i go hey what happened they're like the girl i thought he liked didn't like her Oh, okay, thanks. And I just walk away. Like, that's... <laughs> you go up, you're like, uh, hey, what's happening? They're like, drama in the house. I'm like, predictable. Okay. It's so funny, though, because Mia, my stepdaughter, she doesn't understand broadcasting. She's smart as hell. She's in nursing at McMaster. So she's going, you know, through uh, through uh, anatomy yeah. and bio and all these different crazy sciences and maths and all this. And I'm just like dumb broadcaster guy. Although I will say this, I kick her ass at Jeopardy. Oh my goodness, I destroy Mia. And it gives me great pleasure to destroy Mia at Jeopardy because she's so much smarter than I am. Uh, but whenever... Yeah, but I, history I, and stuff, you would know like over Well, her, it's, right? it's more like life sense. It's when it's uh, yeah. like... It, and trust me, man. There's something to be said for book knowledge oh. versus just <laughs> processing speed. And it's like I, I am paid to think on my feet and say things. So Jeopardy, yeah. even if you're a dumb person like I am, Jeopardy, pretty fun. Uh, because <laughs> if it says, you know, this category, you know how it has the quotation marks that begin over the letter M. And it says money, yeah. M in quotations there. Uh, when you get to categories that have anything to do with wordplay or rhyming or paraphrase or uh, analogies or common sayings or colloquial things or any of that stuff, I will answer the first two or three, you know, 200, 400, 600 and then Mia will turn to me and go, I don't understand the category. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because she's just confused by it. But again, if you give her 
anything science and math. She's like, you know, this is the powerhouse of the human cell. <laughs> and she, yeah, and she's like, ah! And just like starts screaming at the television. She's like, I know this one! And loses her mind. So anyway. Me and my girlfriend uh, were watching uh, like old episodes of Jeopardy and it was like season 26, Tournament of Champions. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's where we are right now. And the last episode, there was a question and it was a video uh, clue. And... It was something along the lines of, like, the Queen of Estonia. And as soon as she said <laughs> Queen of Estonia, I was like, Good morning, Estonia! And my girlfriend is like, What are you talking about? I'm like, That's an old Martian Mellow joke. I'm like, Marsh yelled, Good morning, Estonia, because how attractive uh, the uh, flag bearer was for Estonia at the Pyeongchang Olympics. Do I have that in my iTunes library? <laughs> I'm going to be so disappointed if I don't. Saskia Awasalu! Uh, I, don't have anything, uh, I don't have anything listed under... We're going to have to go back in the archives and try to find... Look up Sasuke Alasalu. The, I know, but the morning of that uh, opening ceremony... We, can, Brad, can you do this for us? We need the date of the opening ceremonies from... What was it? Pyeongchang? Yeah, it was or Pyeongchang. Was, was, or was it, I feel like... It, was it earlier than that? Pyeongchang, that's I guess we were doing the morning, so it makes sense that it was Pyeongchang. But the idea of doing that morning show, we need to find out what date that was and then we need to go back in our archives oh i don't know if we can go far that far back oh, though man i, I think it scrubs after a year i hope that we can but what about the soundcloud page maybe we can find something oh there. yeah yeah we could okay. if, as long as we were uploading things to soundcloud at that point then that would be fantastic to grab i, I hope that we can find that because uh it was the morning of the opening ceremony and i believe it was hour two of the show, if my memory serves me correctly, because <laughs> it was a running joke for the remainder of the show. So, hour two of that date, and I will uh, scream through that at some point <laughs> here in the coming days, and we will get the payoff of Kyle and I just being so incredibly distracted by the beauty of... What, what, what was she again? What did she compete in? She was a speed skater. Oh, yeah. She didn't win anything, but she was a speed skater. Yeah, no, just just a wonderful person. But, but if, in case you are you know thinking, oh, guys, that's gross... Well you know, why are you uh, obsessing about this person and why are you being so... No, it was circumstances around it too, right? Because, like, she's the flag bearer for Estonia and Estonia has, like, literally 11 athletes. And it's, like, <laughs> one of the smaller countries at the Olympics. Yeah. And then she comes out and Marsh is coming back from break and he just looks up at the screen whoa. and just screams out, whoa! <laughs> Good morning, Estonia. That was classic. Uh, just because they walked out and, yeah, it just uh, it seemed, <laughs> seemed to fit with uh, everything that was happening there. But uh, I'm trying to find this clip that was sent to me by Sean Woodley. I'll bring it to you here in a second once I dive through the arc. I know I told you that we're going to get into the NFL and uh, all things recapping the Super Bowl as we've got some more X's and O's details on what went wrong for the Kansas City Chiefs. We will get to that. We'll get back to the Raptors as well. We'll talk about the Leafs a little bit more as we go throughout. We've got the CFL free agency show coming up for you. But um, if you think that I am someone who uh, just gets incredibly distracted by the likes of Saskia Alasalu and everything surrounding uh, what happened there with Estonia on that day. I think this is a clip that I have for you that comes uh, from, <laughs> I think this is, I want to say, last Wednesday or Thursday. Kyle, I, you weren't in with us as we were doing the show that day, and uh, I ended up having this happen to me here. So let's see. Actually, my audio is locked for some reason. One second. Here we go. Yeah, 
headphones. There we go. A little audio up. All right, let's give her a go. <clears throat> and everybody in the replies is just like, I hate this team. The owners <laughs> can go right. to hell. My computers decide not to work. Ah, the perfect timing. It doesn't want me to show the faults in my stars uh, this morning. As uh, I'll give her one more go for you. <clears throat> and everybody nope, in the replies. Okay, I'll get to that after. But I got incredibly distracted by John Davidson. Uh, last week because of what happened with who is the name of the the useless hockey player that got let go D'Angelo uh, Tony yeah, D'Angelo, D'Angelo, yeah when yeah. he got let go by the New York Rangers last week and I <laughs> they came back break and I said is that John Davidson I know that he was with the Rangers and we were in the middle of a conversation about uh, GameStop and uh, betting on different things in and around <laughs> the stock market and what was happening with Steve Cohen the fact that he's the new Mets owner and that he's got tie-ins to all of these different places that have, uh, you know, have hedge fund relationships and whether or not it could actually affect his ownership of the Mets because baseball is an old sport that doesn't allow a lot of new money into it. And he was new money. And the fact that Michael Jordan had a large chunk of the Charlotte Hornets purchased by guys who have connections to uh, hedge funds companies as well and that they were going to have all their money taken. So now we're the Hornets in trouble with Michael Jordan being backed by people who didn't have actual money because the stock market is all just this one big game. All of that was at play, and then John Davidson showed up on the television screen in front of me. And again, I just I turned sideways and I went, oh, "Okay, yeah, that's all right. I can't yeah. focus on anything else because I was just I hadn't seen the dude in like a decade. It was wild." So yeah, um, you know what's interesting is, you know, going back because you mentioned you know the name John Davidson, and it's like there's a lot of people that still on Twitter every Saturday night. They're like, "Man, I miss the old hockey night in Canada. Right. Where's Don Cherry?" And I'm just like, "I'm with you. I miss the old hockey night in Canada." But it has very little to do with Don Cherry. It has everything to do with the guys that they used to have on the satellite hot stove and, like, the guys that they used to bring in, whether it was, like, Rod McClain with, like, uh, Al Strachan and, like, John Davidson and Eric Dehatchik and, like, all these, like, legendary, like, broadcasters and journalists and stuff that would really, like, get to the nitty-gritty in a time where... We didn't have social media, and maybe social media kind of killed Hockey Night in Canada because, like, you didn't really know about, like, breaking news or, like, sources from teams, right? But, like, that was, like, the go-to place, and I – that was the go-to place for, like, you know, behind-the-scenes news about hockey and just about sports before I can even imagine. Like, who was the first, like, insider, right? Like, NFL – like Schefter, but like when did that come about? Yeah, I don't Mid-2000s? know. Mid 2000s? Mean, it feels like Mort was like Mortensen was probably one of the first. And then, of course, on the draft, Mel Kuyper was one of the first people who was bringing you the details behind yeah. draft prospects. But, but that- you had to wait until the actual broadcast yeah. to see those guys, like, because there was no Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true, and everything was so so different. I was uh, I was talking yesterday uh, with somebody around the CFL who's a little bit older, and uh, when I was talking to them, they said, "Well, you know, it's nice to be able to have instant updates for you guys during CFL free agency tomorrow." And I'm like, "Yeah," and they go, "A lot different than when I was uh, you know, working with a team back in the 1960s and 70s, where when we didn't know." Whether we had been signed, if somebody else had been signed, we had to call our friends and find out where they were going. It wasn't like we could just text or we could message each other. It was all just a guessing game. Can you imagine Trevor Harris making the decision to leave Ottawa and go to Edmonton and he's calling Greg Ellingson on a landline and saying, hey, I think the Edmonton thing's going to happen. Do you want to come? And they're like, hang on, wait, let's both hang up. We should both call Sir Vincent Rogers and see if he can come. It's so much slower, so much more painstaking to try and kind of uh, corroborate. But also it probably leads to more... 
uh, I would say, uh, tampering in those situations than ever before because it's so easy to reach people and to talk to people and to have those things kind of go below the radar. Yeah, it's, you know, we live in a different time. I think it's for the better um, in terms of getting access to information a lot, you know, quicker because, like I said, you know, destination television doesn't really exist anymore. You know, Tom Manek always talks about that, right? Destination television in terms of, you know, sporting events, right? So, you know, the NFL, 1 o'clock, Sundays, they own that. Yeah. And that's always destination viewing. But that's a live event. That's a game. That's a little bit different. But I remember, like, growing up and being like, oh, I have to watch SportsCenter to find out all the nitty-gritty sports details from that day because – we didn't have Twitter and we couldn't go to that. We didn't know. It was like, you tuned in at 6.30 and you're like, whoa, that guy got traded? <laughs> you had no idea. <laughs> yeah, when they would start with breaking news on SportsCenter back in the day, it was actually breaking news. I remember being like a kid, like 8, 9, and remembering that 7.22 in the morning, just before, about five minutes before the bus came, was yeah. the sports segment. Yeah. So we all would just huddle around the TV quickly, watch the sports segment, and then run to get the bus. Uh, yeah. It is weird, man. Well, There's a, like a lot of, an entire generation doesn't understand. And oh, to, go back, to go back even further, like I've heard Dan Levitard from uh, talk about his days with ESPN where he said he used to call a number and that would, it was somebody on the other side who would recite scores to him. Like you would, yeah. you would pay, you would pay fifteen cents. You would call this number, and it would say, "Hi, thanks for calling the sports update line." In case you're wondering, the Raptors last night, one twenty three, one oh eight, they won over the Memphis Grizzlies. As uh, Norman Powell scored twenty nine points for the yeah. Raptors and the Leafs, they were asleep for a couple of periods there, Dan. But uh, they ended up finding their feet in the third period. Austin Matthews extends his goal scoring streak to to eight games straight, and that sets a uh, least franchise record. You know what I mean? Like, it was they just yeah. the update. You call in, they give well, you the answers, and an entire generation has no idea what that even feels like. It feels like you're living, talking about the 1920s. That was, like, 1980. Yeah, and, you know, I've, I've said this before uh, on the station that I have, um, you know, family members um, that were gamblers back in the day, right? And you would lay bets on games, and you had no idea what the result was until after the game. And because it was in an out-of-market game, right? It wasn't mm -hmm. the Leafs um, or whatever uh, game was on your local you know, television station. And they would bet on a game and then have to call this hotline. And the hotline would tell you the scores. And the problem was is if you missed the score, you'd have to stay on the phone for another four minutes to wait for that score to come <laughs> back in the cycle. And it's like, man, we live in a different time. But to the point of like destination viewing, our good friend Jim Taddy, I remember, you know, because I used to, I spent my childhood going up to a cottage, right, every single weekend. Well, since I was up there, we didn't have TSN at the cottage, right? But what we did have was global. So 11 o'clock, it didn't matter. And I used to stay out with my friends until, you know, midnight, past midnight. And I was a teenager, right? And But I would make it a habit that whatever I was doing, I would run back to my place and watch global because I had global up there on the antenna and I used to watch Jim Taddy on Sportsline give me the highlights and then I would go back out with my friends after Sportsline but like kids today like they have no idea what that means they're like huh going going back leaving leaving my friends to go watch sports highlights I can just watch that on my phone. Oh, no, you can't. <laughs> yeah. No. Kids today. So different. Yeah. Also, uh, Brad, you found, I think, the hour there. Yes. Did it start off with it? Uh, I'm not sure. We'll have to screen yeah, it. I was gonna, like... Yeah, we'll screen it. But I, I'm interested in this. Can you pull up the date of what that hour is? February 9th. 
Today is February 9th. It's, really? It's the beginning of hour two right now, February 9th. We, we were talking about the beginning of hour two on February 9th. That's that was completely See, I can't random. find February 9th from last year or the year before that. Really? But three years ago, the exact date, I found that. Hey, there we go. That's all we know. Well, it was probably a weekend, right? I'm yeah, really true. On the air on that. Uh, but yeah, February, exactly. Is this our three-year anniversary of uh, screaming at the televisions like it is? Right, <laughs> Saskia Ellis. Yeah. <laughs> Happy Saskia anniversary, everybody. Thank you for being here with us. Uh, let's get a quick break. Come back. We'll talk some more breakdowns of all things Super Bowl for you right after this on TSN 1150 in Hamilton. Welcome back. It is Marsh and Mello, TSN 1150 in Hamilton. Thanks for being here with us as always. All right. Let's get into some of the sound that I had planned for you here. Okay. Finally got it all sorted out, I do believe. But first, me falling in love. I think this is the clip me falling in love with John Davidson. I'm pretty sure from the show. And everybody in the replies is just like, I hate this team. Uh, all right, Dan uh, Orlovsky was breaking down all things surrounding the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl, the Super Bowl, of course, uh, talking about what happened with the Bucks and the Chiefs and being able to have himself uh, the, the moment in time that we all now get to appreciate, which is Tom Brady basically taking over a Super Bowl and doing whatever he wanted in that moment and taking care of business in front of uh, the masses that we all expected that he would have an opportunity uh, to be able to. Am I all set up there on the August? Yeah, all good? Huh? All good? All right, there we go. All right, so uh, and here is uh, Dan Orlovsky talking about Brady and what he was able to accomplish with that group in that spot in a way that we haven't seen very much. I said if Tom Brady won this game, it was going to be the greatest accomplishment for a guy who has the list of the greatest accomplishments ever in NFL history, and it, this t- puts it at the top. It's his greatest accomplishment. I mean, we've labeled throughout this season of what – no offseason, inability to learn the offense with teammates, no preseason, truncated training camp meant. I think the greatest thing that I saw from Tom Brady throughout this season that was felt a little bit different and then certainly showed up last night was we've labeled him the greatest of a lot of different things. I think he's the greatest believer of all time. For me, like we watched guys have tremendous impact last night. Um, in many ways, as castoffs, as guys that nobody else in the league really wanted. I mean, Leonard Fournette was a top five pick that was cut from his football team. Leonard Fournette, Fournette had the most catches he's ever had in a football game last night. Uh, Leonard Fournette was an incredibly impactful football player, physicality-wise. He went to that he went to that team because of Tom. Uh, AB has the touchdown catch. He also won on a couple one-on-one routes. And certainly brought some stuff onto himself, but is there because of Tom? Because Tom believed in him. Because uh, Tom wanted him to be on the team, as Tom wanted many of those guys to be on the team and was able to create something. But it was Bruce Arians, by the way, who kind of got muscled on the Antonio Brown thing and ends up paying off with a Super Bowl touchdown and a Super Bowl winning team, even though Antonio Brown was not the reason. Obviously, yeah. it was the defense. I think we've talked a lot about Brady the last couple of days because the story is fun. But when you go back and watch even some of this, you realize very quickly, man, that, that defense was the reason. But regardless, Bruce Arians right there in the middle of it. And here's Orlovsky on uh, thoughts on him. And apparently my computer's dying again. I don't know what's going on this morning, man. It's frustrating as <laughs> all get it. I have no idea what's happening anymore. We plugged too many wires in, Kyle. I told you. Trying to do too much with the CFL free agency show. And now we're taking away anything that we could accomplish on air with some of the other stuff. But uh, regardless, Bruce Arians to the Hall of Fame was the point that Dan Orlovsky was going to make right there. As he was talking about the uh, the concept of being able to get Bruce Arians to the Hall of Fame based on his uh, his commitment to not just 
this team or the last couple of years, but his commitment to the sport and now being granted as a, a one-time champion as yeah. a head coach, you add that to the rest of his career, and Orlovsky believes that there is a uh, a case to be made, certainly, in that spot. Yeah, I think that's recency bias 100%. Look, I think Bruce Arians is a hell of a football coach, but one Super Bowl as a coach shouldn't get you in the Hall of Fame. I'm just sorry, because the problem is, is as soon as you start putting coaches in with one Super Bowl in the Hall of Fame, then any coach that wins a Super Bowl, you have to put in the Hall of Fame. Is John Harbaugh a Hall of Famer? Depends on his uh, his collection of, I guess, accomplishments outside of that. But let's see. Uh, probably not. You know, I mean, probably not. And he's had a really good run of some stretches coaching-wise, especially in Indy. He was impactful with Ben and with Todd Haley as, as well as Pittsburgh. But I don't think it puts him in the Hall of Fame. Never mind. Uh, but it's cert- You know what would put him in the Hall of Fame, though, Jay? Um, I think in the Hall of Fame of a lot of people's eyes and Dominique Foxworth. I mean, Ryan Clark made this point to me this morning. You know, this is a copycat league, and, um, you know, we often, we point to, you know, everyone wanted Sean McVay, or, and I love Sean, but people that were attached to Sean, or everyone wanted people that were attached to Bill Belichick. You know, there's a great amount of diversity on Bruce's staff when it comes to black coaches and also female coaches. And Ryan Clark brought up this great point, as he's going to be really interested to watch if people sit back and attach themselves to the people that are attached to Bruce. And those people are black coaches and female coaches. And it'll be really interesting if, if that happens and that really changes the way that people look at stuff, um, then that would put him in the Hall of Fame, you know, as far as impactful coaches that have come through our league. So does he get put in as a coach or as a builder? I guess at that point would be the question when it comes to yeah. the Hall of Fame because there's a different category for those things. I just don't think there's enough meat on that bone, hmm. to, to, to be honest. And, and I might be a jackass in saying that. And I think Bruce Arians is a hell of a football coach. And, you know, kudos to him for having, you know, two, three black coordinators, right? Uh, offensive coordinator, defense coordinator, special teams coordinator. And, you know, those guys have their own pedigree, right? Byron Lefkowitz is, yes, a, a young coach. Uh, but Todd Bowles was a head coach before. Um, and I'm just looking at the situation and thinking, okay, can Bruce Arians, you know, get there? Can he get in the hall? If he comes out next year and wins another Super Bowl with Tom and Tampa Bay and he still has the same coordinators, yeah. Hell yeah. Like, I, at least he's in the conversation. Yeah. But I'm not ready to dub Bruce Arians as the genius of all things football and, you know, the the, the builder of all roads that led to certain places that, you know, we can look at in 15 years and say, Wow, Bruce Arians was instrumental in that. He may be. Uh, the Hall of Fame is a rare class, and I just don't think he's there yet. And it's uh, it's worth remembering as well, as I mentioned yesterday, that Bruce Arians is not a Super Bowl champion unless Tom Brady calls the Buccaneers. Yeah. Like, that's going to be lost on history, that Tom Brady called them because the market for him was well, not high enough. And in hindsight, the market not being more bountiful for Tom Brady leaving New England is comical now, is it not? Like, that most teams would not be at some point interested in having the services of somebody who can not only bring you himself and his pedigree, but can also bring you maybe Gronk, maybe yeah. Antonio Brown. When you start talking about the package deal the Buccaneers got by getting Brady, you start to realize this was more than getting a 43-year-old quarterback that you might have doubts about his longevity, which, again, don't do that because it's been 13 years since people have been having doubts about his longevity when he turned 30 years old and people were like, well, this is the downslope decade. Here we are 13 years later. He's still playing at a high level. and still winning Super Bowls. Yeah. But that's, that's amazing to see how... He got doubted. He called the Bucks. 
and now we're going to give a lot of other people credit for it. I think I do think Bruce Arians is a Hall of Fame coach just because of the tenure he's had and the amount of success he's had in a variety of places, but it would certainly put him over the top with another or if he were able to have a legitimate long-term impact on the sport, which I think, in all honesty, from actually watching the NFL Network show A Football Life on him, I do think that there has been a long-term impact. We just haven't had enough separation from that impact to feel it as of yet. So I'm looking at... By the way, Bruce Arians, look, he's a hell of a football coach. 76 wins in the National Football League. That's all he has. Mm -hmm. 76 wins. Like, he hasn't coached that long. Yep. 2012, nine wins with Indianapolis, 10 wins with Arizona, 11 wins with Arizona, 13 wins with Arizona. Then seven and eight, seven, eight and one, eight and eight. Then he leaves, steps away from the game for a couple of years, then goes to Tampa Bay. He was seven and nine last year, and then 11 and five last year. A lot of people will say, well, that's the Tom Brady effect, and obviously you win a Super Bowl because of Tom Brady. I'm actually not going to hold that against him because Tom Brady led Bill Belichick to six Super Bowls, right? And it takes a collective effort to get anything done in the game of football. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to hold that against Bruce Arians. I look at the, you know, the path of Tom Brady's career. And it's interesting because you bring up the fact that there wasn't a lot of suitors for Tom Brady in the off season or appeared that way. Right. My thing is that it wasn't even that you were bringing Tom Brady in. I think the bigger aspect of this was, that you were going to have to relinquish control to Brady. And that's the biggest thing. You need a coach that is the leader of your franchise that brings Tom Brady in and says, Tom, this is your show. On offense, the offensive side of the ball, this is your show. Do what you want, right? Yes, we'll bring in some you know, personnel that you feel comfortable with, whether it's Antonio Brown, Rob Gronkowski, and – we understand we're going to have to relinquish control. And for the general manager as well, and obviously there's a relationship there with uh, Matt Light and Tom Brady uh, going back to the New England days. But it's like they, you know, Light and Bruce Arians both had to kind of take a back seat to Tom Brady and say, we understand the success that you've had in this league, and we are trusting you with that, that you can do it again. Now, end of the road, <laughs> at least in 2020, 2021, he ended up getting you to the spot that you dreamt of being in because you did relinquish control. Mm -hmm. And maybe that was something that, you know, maybe New England wasn't ready for. And maybe that's why Tom Brady stepped aside where it was like, Bill Belichick, can you relinquish control to Tom Brady at this point in his career? Apparently, Bill Belichick wasn't willing to do that. So just looked up uh, Hall of Fame coaches, and there seems to be one really common theme. Either you had hit the benchmark of 150 wins as a head coach with multiple Super Bowls or you had to have over 100 wins and then have something like extraordinary hmm. like say Marv Levy was the only coach to ever lead a team to four Super Bowls consecutively even though yeah. he didn't win yeah um, and then you have others but the list is very exclusive and it has to hit it seems like you have to hit those benchmarks yeah, and as much as I like Bruce Arians <laughs> until he gets that second Super Bowl I don't yeah, think he in. hits that yeah. benchmark for yeah. the voters. That's totally fair. Yeah, based on previous uh, yeah. standards that have been set, that's totally fair. I just don't think there's enough, like, amount of wins or enough of a resume there. Like, for Tom Coughlin, like, how many wins is Tom Coughlin? I'm just looking that up right now. Like, Tom Coughlin, yes, he's won two Super Bowls. But also, Tom Coughlin, like, he coached a hot minute in the NFL. Like, he had 102 wins. Or actually, 170 wins as a coach in – 
the NFL. 170. Bruce Arians is 76. And we're having a conversation on whether or not he's a Hall of Famer? Come on. What was the win percentage on Coughlin, though? 53%. Yes, he was the coach of a lot of bad teams, right? And I'm not saying Coughlin's a Hall of Famer. I'm just saying that he is. We need to cool it on Bruce Arians being a Hall of Famer. My thing is that Eli and Coughlin. Okay. Okay. Eli, no, listen, Eli and Coughlin, you know this, Brad, being a Giants fan. They won those two Super Bowls, but they didn't win playoff games outside of those two Super Bowls. Yes. And the regular seasons were usually pretty bad. And even when they won those Super Bowls, they weren't a one or a two seed. They were usually wild card, four or five, somewhere in there. Who did they beat in the first Super Bowl? I know. They they beat both of them yes. in that Super Bowl with the Patriots. And I understand that. But they went on two great runs. But I'm saying, do two great runs overwhelm the fact that Eli and Coughlin as a tandem in New York were a 53% successful team outside of a six-game stretch where they decided to run through the playoffs twice. The one thing I will say for Tom Coughlin is, and people are going to focus in on the Giants' states because he won two Super Bowls, he also had a lot of success with an early expansion team in the Jaguars. And I think that deserves a lot of credit uh, in terms of his Hall of Fame case. He made an expansion team almost immediately contenders and that's well i don't know if they were totally contenders no they were in the but, playoffs but in they their were, second year i think I against think the went, bills they were i in, believe they went to a couple uh conference championship games. yeah i watched actually uh when i was getting ready for the bills i forget if it was the divisional round or the conference round but i watched jags against the bills in in buffalo and i think it was in 94 yeah. 95 96 somewhere in there they made the playoffs four years in a row, yeah, Coughlin, making two AFC titles. Coughlin was the head coach. You know who was the defensive coordinator for those Jacksonville teams, at least in the game that I watched? Dick Jerron. Oh, boy. Who went on to be the Bills head coach like f- was 15 years later. So, full so circle Tom stuff. Tom Coughlin's got a bit more of a resume. And then Eli Manning. Dick Jerron? How dare you? Well, <laughs> 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 yeah, and then, of course, Eli Manning's a Hall of Famer. Yes. Uh, well, you look around the NFL, right? You know, head coaches that have you know had long-term tenure. Uh, do they deserve to be in the Hall of Fame over a guy like Bruce Arians or even a guy like Tom Coughlin? Yeah. Right? Like Mike Tomlin. I think Mike Tomlin deserves to be in the Hall of Fame over even Tom Coughlin. Right? You're talking about a guy who was a groundbreaker. Like when he got hired, people in Pittsburgh didn't like the hire. Mm-hmm. They were like, who's this guy? This guy's a no-name guy. Yeah, yeah. And he's been the coach for how long now? 15, 20 years? <laughs> yeah. Like he's been there for a hot minute and it doesn't appear that he's going anywhere. Yeah, it's so true. Um, all right, we got a lot of people that are tweeting in all of a sudden, I think because our good friend Matthew Cause uh, from TSN 1050 in Toronto has shared the fact that we are doing a CFL free agency show. Uh, we got a question from at CFL Musings here on Twitter. At Marsh and Mel says, will it be on SoundCloud after the answer? Absolutely. Yes, yeah, SoundCloud, it will be up there. We will put Reese Demaney, who's going to be here in studio with us throughout the free agency show, to work. He will post everything. It'll be SoundCloud. It'll be iTunes. It'll be wherever you need it, and uh, you'll be able to get a hold of it. But let's do it live. It's going to be more fun live, and uh, we're working on getting some stuff off the ground for you by the time that we kick that bad boy off yeah. at noon. Last thing that I'll mention here, Kyle, about the Bruce Arians discussion. I got a really interesting email yesterday from our friend, uh, friend Ron Foxcroft. And uh, Ron reached out to me and he said, hey, guys, uh, you know, enjoying listening to the show this morning, which we it blows my mind that Ron Foxcroft wastes his valuable time listening to us bounce around <laughs> and be idiots. Uh, but regardless, uh, he matched in and he said, uh, Bear Bryant once said, we lost to a great quarterback in the Super Bowl. Uh, or sorry, in the Sugar Bowl, not in the Super Bowl. That quarterback was Dave Marler, former Tiger Cat, and played for Mississippi State. His coach at Mississippi State was Bruce Arians. Marler's Sunday school teacher was Eric Tillman's father. Marler lives in Hamilton today, and he talks to Bruce Arians twice a week. So Dave Marler, a Hamilton connection there, still talks to Bruce Arians a couple times a week. 
at 8 a.m. in 20 minutes, Dave Marler joins the show. Uh, we are going. Wow. To, we are going to. I booked him yesterday because I wanted to have him come on and talk about uh, what Bruce Arians was like back in the early days, how he's seen his career evolve. What is the secret to his success? What has he done with creating diversity on these coaching staffs? So uh, his university quarterback, Dave Marler, a Hamilton native now, is going to get an opportunity to come on and tell you, the listener, all things Bruce Arians after the Buccaneers win the Super Bowl 55 this past Sunday. So looking forward to that conversation coming up for you in about 20 minutes or so. We'll get a quick break here, come back, talk some Leafs and Raps until we catch up with Dave Marler and talk more Super Bowl. It's Marsh and Mello, TSN 1150 in Hamilton. Welcome back. It is Marsh and Mello, TSN 1150 in Hamilton. Thanks for being here with us. As always, coming up at 8.30 a.m. this morning, Jack Armstrong is going to join us, and we will talk about uh, Nick Nurse's adventures last night, getting ejected, but the Raps going on to get the victory over JV and the Memphis Grizzlies on a, uh, a beautiful court, by the way. I love the, uh, the, I don't know if that's like baby blue that they're using down there. Whatever that blue is, the Memphis has got going on. looks nice, but the Raptors get the victory on uh, the Memphis home court. I want to play this for you first, though, Kyle. During the break, we were trying to screen through what we were talking about earlier, which was the three-year anniversary of us being introduced to Saskia Alasalu, who is the Estonian flag bearer in a moment that uh, goes down in the show's history as just basically defining everything that we uh, laugh about and we make fun of ourselves for, which is getting distracted and having fun and hopefully giving you a couple of cheap laughs out there. But as Brad was screening through the audio, trying to find the Saskia Alasalu stuff, he ended up playing this introduction to our show, which in hindsight, after a pandemic, uh, pretty funny because you brag about never missing a show, and it's been a long time since you've been in studio, and in the opening of this clip as well, for some reason, I felt the need to bring up that our boss was sick, and then I demanded that he not infect the office. (laughs) No spoilers, no spoilers. Uh, Here's the clip for you right here. This is the Morning Scrum with Martian Mello on TSN 1150. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome inside the TSN 1150 Hamilton Studios. My name is Marshall Ferguson. You can follow me on Twitter at TSN underscore Marsh. The man across from me, as always, on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and oddly enough, on a Friday, is Kyle Mello. You can find him on Twitter at TSN Kyle Mello. And of course, together... We have a show account because in the 21st century, if you don't have a show account, you don't exist. It is at Marsh and Mellow. I think I've only missed like three days. In the history of this program? Yeah. Wow. That's impressive. Uh, I know that our boss, Mike Neighbors, is playing injured this morning. So please, uh, please, Mike, if you're listening, do not, I repeat, do not infect the building. <laughs> I hate telling We sick, need to be quarantined. But I, honestly, I hate telling people that are sick don't get me sick because it's kind of a dick way of saying you have something wrong with you. Don't make it wrong with me. Which- <laughs> uh, I dropped quarantine. Yeah. Uh, that clip does not hold up in any way, shape, or form. Any, any of that. Uh, Kyle never missing a show. Not true. Uh, me saying, hey, I, you know, I don't want to guilt people if they're feeling sick and saying, hey, don't come in the building. You know, I hate when people do that to me. We've been doing that to everybody for the jokes pu- about quarantine. Yeah, for public health interests. That was oh, three man. years ago today that that happened on this show. That is uh, that is uh, radio memory just being uh, rehashed. We sound younger. We sound less beat down, don't we? We sound like super poppy oh. and energetic and 
Wait until we reach uh, 2025. We are going to sound like the two old men where it's just like, can you believe these athletes now? <laughs> Screw these guys. Uh, it's really aged us, the pandemic, yeah. I think, trying to figure out, hey, when's baseball going to start every day for the last uh, year and a half, it feels <laughs> We're like. We're going to be smoking darts in the uh, <laughs> in the studio. By the way, I, me and my girlfriend uh, through our kitchen window just watched, because it's our garbage day, mm -hmm. just watched the recycling guy come by, guy smoking a dart as he's uh, dumping our recycling bins. Uh, maybe not. I, <laughs> I know. I'm like, what happens if like there's a there's a piece of uh, amber that uh, catches on one of the uh, cardboard boxes? Maybe not today because there's a, a foot of snow on top of everything. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, I would say dangerous to be around any motor vehicle, especially a big truck like that. And I'm, he flicks the dart right into the back of the recycling. <laughs> All of a sudden. <laughs> Whole truck yeah. goes up in flames. I feel like I've seen a picture of that somewhere on the internet. But uh, uh, all right, let's get into some more on the Leafs and the Raptors here. As I say, Jack Armstrong going to join us coming up at 8.30 a.m. And we're looking forward to chatting with him about Nick Nurse and the uh, psychology of uh, getting your coach ejected, as he did last night, get sent to the bench. Here is the NBA on TSN panel breaking down for you all things Nick Nurse, his ejection, and the impressive fourth quarter comeback of the Toronto Raptors. In this game, the Raptors criticized most of the season for being unable to finish in deficits in the fourth. First time they've ever trailed after three quarters. After 11 games, they finally make a comeback in the fourth quarter with Leo Routens and Kia Nurse. And a lot of stuff kind of happened tonight. Kyle Lowry leaves with back spasms. Nick Nurse leaves with, I guess, a temper problem. Uh, he got ejected from the ball game. Raptors had some trouble. Then late in the third quarter, things started to turn around and turned around completely, Kia. You're right, Rod, and it wasn't looking really good for the Raptors early in that third. And we've heard a lot of times during this game that it was that big run that was started by the Raptors' defense just after Nick Nurse got ejected. But as a player, one of the big things that I noticed was Fred VanVleet's leadership. Right here, he pulls in the team for a huddle, and that's just a reminder that, look, we are the ones on the floor that can get it done. We're going to war for each other right now, and let's step up. And the best part about Fred VanVleet is he's a leader who's going to lead by example. We see it, and he proved it tonight and what he did on the court. I think that's the big point right there, Kia. Fred, it's one thing to gather guys together. But you say, hey, let's do it. Let's fix this. We know we know we can win this game. We're better than this. But then you step up and you take your game to another level. And that's exactly what Fred did. He led the charge in the Raptors from the time Nick Nurse gets tossed 43 to 19 over Memphis. Yeah, Fred had 32. Norm had 29. Pascal also had 32. Kia, they were like the big three of the Brooklyn Nets. And yeah, they had a great defensive effort in the fourth, but you still have to put, you know, the, the ball in the bucket, and that's what they were able to do. Well, we talked about Pascal Siakam at halftime and his need to step up, especially with OG Ananobi and Kyle Lowry out. Where are you going to get that extra production? Typically, it's that next man up mentality, but if Fred VanVleet and Pascal Siakam wanted to take it the way that they did today, there's nothing wrong with that. And Pascal did it from all over the court. He got it from the three-point line. He did it inside the paint, and he got his teammates involved. And he was out there having fun, Leo. How many times have we heard Pascal talk about finding that joy? This was tonight. I think we saw that. We're definitely seeing the joy. He's smiling. He's running up and down the floor. He's having a good time. And he's finally getting some threes to fall down. Five threes made in this game. Who cares if it goes off the glass? <laughs> right now, he's feeling good. And he's not just selling. He's not just saying, okay, I made a few threes. I'm just going to keep shooting threes. He's taking the shots the defense is giving him. And he's looking to attack and put the ball on the floor as much as he can. 
And as you pointed out, he's also making his teammates better, a sign of a great player. Yeah, the Grizzlies missed out big time, too. They left Jonas Valanciunas off the floor for about six minutes. Raptors also went on the huge run. Jonas had a huge night, 27-20. and 20. Last time he played the Raptors, his old team, he didn't score anything. Zero, as Sam Mitchell would say. But tonight, the Raptors win. They come back in the fourth, and all is good again. They've got Washington on Wednesday. Here's SportsCenter. There you go. Breaking it down for you. The Raptors again getting the victory last night and being able to uh, carry their way into the bright new futures. The Raps will continue on after having Nick Nurse get ejected. Obviously, that's the headline that comes out of this one. But if you look at the box score and you look at the way in which the Raptors had balanced all-around scoring last night, that feels like the real story of this game to me. Yes, the motivation, sure, we can make the narrative stuff out of all of that. But when you look at the actual breakdown of who got on the scoring sheet and how they were yeah. able to accomplish it last night, the top end scoring of Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam, you get 30 plus in those guys. I, I'm willing to put you up against any team in the entire league and say, yeah, you've got an opportunity to be able to win. You add in 29 from Norm Powell. Now you're really going to win like that. That was the cheat code last night. And I understand JV had a lot of fun with 27 points and 20 rebounds, just a monster and probably wanted to show off against his old team and be like, Hey, if you guys need a five, maybe uh, give me a call or something. But, uh, but the idea of getting 32 from Pascal, 32 from Fred, 29 from Norm Powell. And after that, it drops off Chris Boucher, 12 points, Aaron Baines, seven, DeAndre Bembry, six, Kyle Lowry, four before he leaves with back spasms. He only played seven minutes and 42 seconds because he left in the first half. Terrence Davis, three points. Stanley Johnson, three points. You get it. It was top-heavy. Yeah. But I'll take top-heavy at 32, 32, and 29 unstoppably more than I am willing to take, you know, everybody getting eight points to their name and having to play 12 guys in order to try and scrap together a victory. Yeah, so a couple of things here. Uh, one, the Chris Boucher 12 points is kind of misleading because yeah. he really struggled in the first half and then kind of turned it on in the second half. Yeah, totally fair. Um, I'm looking at the injury to Kyle Lowry, and obviously I think if you're a Raptors fan, you're concerned because back spasms and the way he walked off the court – that's something that might linger for a while. It does seem like it's a couple of weeks type thing. Because I don't know. Have you ever had a back injury, Kyle, in that spot? Um, I'm trying to think. I think one time when I was uh, back in my soccer days, mm -hmm. um, I some guy tried to chip the ball over my head because I was obviously a goalie. And I backpedaled, 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 tipped the ball over the net, and I slammed into the post. Ooh. Um, and, uh, my back was, uh, was kind of messed up for like a couple of weeks. I played through it. I probably should have, I probably should have missed it. Well, I was like, <laughs> are you hurt? Are you injured? No, when you're 16, 17 years old, you think you can just run head first through a brick wall. You think you're Gumby. Sometimes you can. I mean, it's worth yeah, a Yeah, sometimes you can. <laughs> uh, but I, from my experience in the back injury was, uh, seeing Kyle Lowry leave with back spasms. I had back spasms and anybody who's had a back injury, you realize how just debilitating back injuries can be because they seem straightforward, right? You think, well, I roll my ankle, I give it some time and I put some tape on it and I'm back out there. You can't put tape on a back. Like a back is one of those things that is so sensitive and you can think that you're fine and come down on it the wrong way and hurt yourself. I've heard Vince Carter talk about this where people said, do you hate, do you hate dunking now? Like, does it hurt to dunk? He said, it's not the going up that hurts. It's the coming down. I don't mind dunking. I'm scared of landing. Like, if, <laughs> if I land the wrong way, I'm going to hurt my knees, my back, my yeah. ankles, because they get worn down over time. Kyle Lowry is a soldier in taking charges and being physical. He's the best in the NBA. He's been the best in the NBA for a long time at this. With that being said, man, at some point, it's going to catch up with him. I'm not saying it's right now. I'm just saying if at some point he ends up having some type of injury like this, there he's worn down and his body just decides you know what you need six months off dude like you you've gotten the <laughs> crap kicked out of you for years on end 
I would not be surprised. I don't think this is going to be like that. But my yeah. experience with back stuff, it basically ruined my entire grade grade 10 basketball season where I went to physio, I went to Cairo, uh, I ended up going out and trying to warm up for a city final when I hadn't played in a couple of weeks. I was doing the Steve Nash thing where when you come out, you lay down on your stomach and you put the towels underneath your chin to try and keep your back at the proper angle in order to be able to let it relax. And so the you're not sitting on a bench and having the back spasms continue. And I went up for a layup in the warmups of the city championship game and I came down on it and my back just seized. And I I shuffled my feet like Kyle Lowry did last night, made my way over to the bench and just went up to my coach. I'm like, I, there's no way I'm playing. And, yeah. and of course he's like, yeah, whatever. Cause I wasn't that good and it didn't really matter. But I went up to him. I'm, there's no way I can do this. It, it just completely, your mindset goes from I'm ready for this to there is a 0% chance that I am playing. And that obviously happened very quickly with Kyle Lowry last night too. Rightfully so when you feel the pain that he was feeling. Yeah, and with OG and Anobi already out of the lineup, it you know leaves a trickle-down effect uh, for the Raptors lineup. There was a moment last night where beginning of the fourth quarter, I believe it was, um, Fred Van Vliet needed a rest because after Lowry got injured, he essentially just played the entire game. And yeah. Nick Nurse is like, we got to give like Fred some time here. So there was a lineup on the court, and I looked at the TV, and my girlfriend probably overheard me from the other room, but I was like, what is with this lineup? Because obviously Fred was out, but like Terrence Davis wasn't in. Yeah. So you didn't have a primary ball handler. The lineup was Pascal Siakam, uh, Norm Powell, Chris Boucher, DeAndre Bembry, and Yuta Watanabe. And I was like, and, and DeAndre Bembry was playing point guard. I yeah. was like, what is happening yeah. right now? And John Morant on Memphis, he was trying to, like, he was, you know, defending DeAndre Bembry the entire court because he's like, wait, you're not a point guard. I can definitely steal the ball off of you. Now, to Bembry's credit, he held his own, and, you know, the Raptors were able to hit some shots. I think that was when Pascal Siakam actually hit the three that he banked in. Hmm. Um and I think that, you know, when you look at the Raptors and the trajectory of the game last night, you can look at that moment that in the moment in need, even when your point guard is out of the lineup, um, can somebody step up? And I think the Raptors in that moment did step up. Now, moving forward, you worry about the health of Fred Van Vliet just because it's like if Kyle Lowry is out of the lineup, how much? How many minutes is Fred VanVleet going to need to play? Then more than he already plays. Yeah, he already plays forty minutes a night. Yep. Now is he going to have to play? You know, forty-two, forty-three minutes a night, and then can the role of Terrence Davis kind of evolve? Um, he's going to have to step in and at least be that ball handler, um, point guard for for the Raptors for a little bit here uh, in times where Fred VanVleet does need a rest. Uh, let's get a break. Come back for you on the other side, and uh, we'll be joined by Dave Marler, the uh, Hamilton native right now, who is the former, of course, uh, quarterback in Mississippi State of one Bruce Arians, who just won the Super Bowl. And of course, we want to ask him some questions about his Tiger Cats experience as well, seventy nine to eighty two in and around Hamilton with the organization. So lots to talk about with Dave, and he will join us on the program next, right here on TSN eleven fifty in Hamilton.